0: For the month of june and july it's called people places and things and basically what we're going to be doing is going through the word of god and pulling out people places and things and how they apply to our life today so i think you're going to enjoy it i think it's going to challenge you our goal is that you would be encouraged and challenged and lifted up amen so without further ado let's get into the word i'm going to give you my text verse for the day out of deuteronomy 6 i'm going to ask you to stand again just make sure your legs aren't falling asleep we just like to stand here in honor of reading God's Word. I think it deserves it. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 7, and then verse 12 as well. It says, Hear, O Israel. In other words, listen up. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. How many gods? One God. And here's what we are to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you, today are to be upon your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down and when you get up. And then verse 12, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Do not forget the Lord. My uh, title today is How Quickly We Forget. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we love you and we thank you for this time we have together. And Lord, as we come, and just in honor of your word, Father, I pray that you would minister to our hearts. I pray that our hearts would be good soil and that your word would produce fruit in our lives. And it would be for your glory and for our good. And I pray that my words would be your words and that this would be a wonderful time together, honoring and glorifying you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Before you're seated, turn to your neighbor and say, don't forget. Don't forget what? You know, I remember my parents telling me when I was young that uh, one day it was going to be hard to remember things. It was going to be easy to forget. And I remember laughing at them. And now I can be in a room and have a thought that would make me go into another room, and by the time I get to that room, I forget why I'm there. So I guess I've arrived um, into adulthood because it's very, very easy to forget things. In fact, it's remarkable how easy it is to forget. In fact, studies will show that everything I say today 90% of it you will forget by the time you have lunch. No matter how good I do, or how bad I do, you're going to forget the majority of it by the time you're out of here today. It's easy to forget things. It's easy to forget how good someone has been to you, right? It's easier to remember how they've done you wrong, especially if it's like a parent or a boss or a leader in your life. You can forget all the good things they've done and just remember that one thing they did that hurt you or hurt your feelings. It's so easy to forget... The good things in our life and some things we need to forget right it's good to forget the past mistakes we've made we're not meant to harbor on the mistakes and on the past but we're called to move forward and not literally forget them because we don't want to forget because if we forget the things that we've done we're doomed to repeat them eventually but to not let those things have control or power over our life is what we're talking about in fact the apostle paul said in philippians 3 he said that he is forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead I press on you know God even forgets kind of he doesn't forget he chooses not to remember is what the the Bible actually says in Hebrews 8 12 it says this is the words of God he says I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more can I get an amen to that praise God that he does not hold our past against us hallelujah that's that is the gospel the atonement that Jesus made for us so that God does not have to remember the things that we've done in the past. And some things that we forget are trivial. You know. Eventually I'm gonna remember why I went into that room. It's no big deal. And there are things that sometimes, you know, you have trouble remembering somebody's name or remembering dates. I can't remember a date to save my life. If it's not in my calendar, it might as well have never happened or been planned, because it's not gonna happen unless my wife reminds me. But There are a lot of things like that 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 we can struggle with that can be somewhat trivial, but now there's even apps on your phone that can help you with memory. You know, there's programs you can go through. There's things you can do to train your memory to help you to remember things. But you know, there are things in life that are much more detrimental, that have a bigger impact on our life if we forget, especially spiritually. If we forget the things that God has done for us, we can easily go down paths that will cause us to have regret or shame. If we forget the faithfulness and the goodness of God in our life, it's easy to make bad decisions and end up having regrets and shame in our life. It's so easy for that to happen. That's why this verse I read, this text verse, is so important that we remember it because even the words in this text verse say, be very careful that you do not forget the faithfulness of the Lord. Be careful, be intentional. Don't just hope that it works out but make sure you make decisions in your life to remember the faithfulness of God. And this is not just because he wants our attention. Our God's not insecure, guys. He is fully secure in who he is. He's not just wanting our attention because he's needy. He's saying be careful to remember what I've done for you because when we remember his faithfulness in our life, that is a guide for our future. It's a guide for our life. It'll guide us into good decisions. When we remember what God's done in our life, it will help us in today. It's not just to think about it so we can reflect and talk about how cool it was, like, a, like something in our past that we enjoyed, an event we did, but it's about remembering because it helps us for today and for tomorrow. That's what God wants for each one of us. And you could say, well, I can't remember what I wore yesterday. How am I gonna remember the faithfulness of God in my life? Well, you're in luck because if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have given your life to him and you would call yourself a Christian today, then we have the Holy Spirit who Jesus sent to be with us when he left this earth, and we can be filled with this Spirit. The Bible tells us to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And if we have the Holy Spirit in us as a follower of Jesus, one of the traits of the Holy Spirit is to help us remember God's faithfulness. That's beautiful. So we don't have to just do it on our own. In fact, Jesus promised us in John 14, he's getting ready to, he's telling his disciples about when he's gonna be leaving. And he tells them, the counselor, which is another word for the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He will remind us. If we are submitted to him, if we are surrendered to him, not just because we said a prayer one day, but because our life is in Jesus, we can trust that he will remind us of his faithfulness, even in, especially in tough times. And you know, there's something else the Bible tells us about remembering him. The communion we take in church, the Lord's Supper, it's all about remembering. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, not just to remember like, oh yeah, I remember what he did, but to really reflect on, really to meditate on the goodness, the faithfulness of God in our life. You know, we don't have to just have communion in church with a little pre-made cup and a wafer. You can have communion at your home. You can do it every day if you want. Whatever you, whatever you need to do to create habits in your life That you are reminding yourself about God's faithfulness That you are remembering the Lord The word says be careful so that you do not forget Because God knows how easy it is for us to forget anything in this world I'm sure there are things that have happened to you that you thought Man, I'll never forget this day This was the greatest day ever And five years later you can't really remember what happened But in that moment, woof, that was beautiful It's the same way with God You have those moments with God where it's so good. And I've said it to myself so many times. I'm like, God, I'll never doubt you again. And two weeks later, I'm going, God, are you real? Because that's that's our nature. That's the sin nature that is in each one of us. It is to forget the goodness of God. So this series we're doing this next two months is called People, Places, and Things. Well, today, I want to talk to you about a thing. It's going to be the focus of of today. And the thing is this golden calf that we see in the book of Exodus. Most of you probably know about the golden calf, at least have some knowledge of it. I'll give you a little backstory about it. The golden calf is a tragic story about a group of people that made a grave error by forgetting about God. They forgot God. And it makes us say or think when we read this story, wow, how quickly we forget. So the children of Israel God led them into Egypt. He said, go ahead and go. I'll go with you. Well, everything was good for a little while. Then they they grew too big. Pharaoh got nervous. He put them in slavery. 430 years the children of Israel were in slavery in Egypt. Eventually, God raises up the prophet Moses. He says, Moses, you're going to lead my people out of Egypt and back into the promised land. And so he tells Moses how to do this. Moses is scared, but he's like, okay, I'll do it. God ends up. Moses goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, there's no way I'm letting these people go. So God sends plagues to the, the people of Egypt. And he sends 10 plagues. And all 10 of these plagues were specific acts of power that God was showing based on a God that Egypt had. Every one of them was to come against the God that they had. And the, last, the, the ninth one was specifically a big deal because it was the plague of darkness. And the most powerful, the most important, the most revered God in all of Egypt was the sun god, Ra, And so for God to say it's going to be dark for three days, the sun's not coming up, was a display of his power over the Egyptian god, the Egyptian sun god. But Pharaoh still would not relent. So God sent the 10th plague, which most of you know was him killing the firstborn of each family in Egypt. And the Israelites were passed over, that's where we get the Passover. They put the blood over the doorpost, the angel of death passed by their houses and killed the firstborn of every family in Egypt. And this was a display of God's power because of what Pharaoh did earlier when he was killing all the, the boys that were being born to Israelites. So God came and showed his power by killing every firstborn in the whole country of Egypt. And this was finally enough for Pharaoh to say, Moses, get out of here, get your people and get out of here, I'm tired of this, all, all this stuff. So Moses gets the people, they leave, they they walk out of Egypt, and it leads them to the Red Sea. And we know what happens at the Red Sea. They get there, they can't cross. The Egyptians say, what are we doing? Why have we left them leave? So they start to chase the Israelites. God opens the Red Sea. The Israelites walk through on dry ground. He didn't just move the water out of the way, he even dried up the ground for them. That's how good God is. They go across, Egyptians chase them. Red Sea closes up on the Egyptians. Every person in the army was killed. God leads them all the way to Mount Sinai. And they they go to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on the mountain. God meets with Moses, gives them the Ten Commandments, makes the covenant with the children of Israel, made a blood covenant with the children of Israel. And the children of Israel responded, yes, we will do it. God said, if you will obey my commands, if you will uh, obey my decrees, I will be your God. And they said, yes, yes, that sounds good to us, let's do it. They just witnessed a lot of really cool stuff, so they they were in the mood to make a covenant with God. And so they did it. And then Moses goes back up on the mountain to get more instruction from God. Gets the blueprints for the tabernacle, a bunch of things. But he's gone for 40 days. And the children of Israel get restless. They get impatient. So finally, they've had enough. They don't know what's happened to Moses. So they come to Aaron, who was Moses' right-hand man. And they declare and ask him to do something for them. I'm going to read it out of Exodus 32, verses 1 to 4. It says, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, so they admitted that Moses is the one that brought them out of Egypt with the God's help, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered, take off your gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. They just admitted that Moses brought them out of Egypt. That quickly they changed and said, Oh no, it was actually this golden cow that brought you up out of Egypt. How quickly they forgot. They had just made a covenant with God, a blood covenant with God saying the Ten Commandments, the first two commandments talk very clearly about having no gods before me and making no cast no idols. And even reiterated it. And literally within weeks, they're making an idol and worshiping it and calling it a God. I mean that's like cheating on your spouse on your honeymoon. I mean they just couldn't wait. Right? And we look at that and we think, My goodness, how could they, how could they be so ignorant? How could they be so rebellious to do this? So quickly. But you know we can ridicule them. And roll our eyes at them all day. But church there's something in here for all of us too. And we should have some grace for them. Because there are things that we don't always understand. About their culture. That might have led them to this. First of all they came from a very pluralistic society. Okay so it was very common to have more than one God. In fact they probably to this point had multiple gods. The Egyptians like I said. God did ten plagues. That was all It shows the power against different gods in Egypt. That wasn't all of them. So it was very common to have multiple gods. So even them saying we got this golden calf didn't say, well, we don't care about Jehovah. We want this. They were just adding the calf to their list of gods they were going to serve. Because that was what they knew. That was what they understand, understood. And we're just as guilty. Because I can tell you today, it is not in our sin nature to want just one of anything. Not anything. We want multiples of everything in life, right? That's why there is addiction. Think about it. If you could, if it was just about one, having one alcoholic drink, it's not a big deal, right? But the one drink makes you feel pretty good. Well, then two must make me feel better. And three must make me feel really good. And four makes me just as happy as I can be. And you get addiction out of that thing because you can't just have one. That's what addiction is. I've got to have it and I've got to have more. It's like having, we don't even want to have just one intimate partner in our life, one sexual partner, because of the nature of sin in our lives. If, if, if being with one person is good, being with another one has to be better, getting some variety, you know, before sin came into the world, that wasn't even an, an issue. But now the sins in the world, we don't want one of anything, including God. And you might say, well, that's, that's not true. I don't want to serve any other gods. I just want to serve the God. I understand that he is the only God, that we serve a God that's one God in three parts, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's the God I serve. And and you know what? I think most of us in this room and even those watching online would probably say, that's me. But you know what? We might only serve one God for our salvation. We know he's the only way to heaven. But he's not the only one that we give authority and give power in our life. Now, he's not the only one we elevate in our life. In fact, there are a lot of times we elevate things in our life above God. And any time you do that, it becomes a God. It may not be a golden calf that you're bowing down to and worshiping, but it's a God, and it's a God in our life. And so we can learn something from the children of Israel and how they responded when God went up on the mountain with Moses and they got impatient and stopped waiting for him. How many idols do we welcome into our lives after having seen the faithfulness of God? I think we're all guilty of it how often do we allow something we want so badly to stand in the place of God in our life how many of us have have had a a relationship that we were just so determined we were going to have this relationship we ignored the principles of the word of God and we elevated that relationship above God we said God I know what this says but I really don't want to be alone so I'm doing what I want or how many of us have done that when it comes to our money God, I know biblically what I'm supposed to do with my money, that it's all yours, and you've called me to live a life of generosity and and to be that way. But you know what? I just can't do that because I need my money for this and this and this. And so we elevate our own income, our finances, our job, our career. We elevate it over God. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. That's why the Bible says, be careful not to forget what the Lord has done for you. We have to be reminded of the fact that it's all his that there's nothing in this world that deserves to be elevated above God. It's all under our God. And I can tell you, I know we're all guilty. And I'm thankful for the grace of God because without his grace, none of us could be here today. Are you thankful for the grace of God in your life? Amen? It's because of what Jesus did for us that we don't have to reap what we sow sometimes in our relationship with him. So what I wanna do today is I wanna give you some lessons from the calf. We can learn some lessons from this in our own personal life. First, I would like to just suggest to you, or remind you, that sometimes the gift can become a God. You see, the Israelites, when they came out of Egypt and they were waiting for Moses and they got impatient, they told Aaron, they said, give us a God. And Aaron said, okay, give me your gold. Now, this is so easy to gloss over if you know the story without really thinking about this, but where did the Israelites get gold? They had just come out of Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. It's not in the scripture, but I can say with pretty good confidence there's no way they had gold when they were in Egypt. They would not have allowed them to have gold. If they would have seen any Israelite with gold, they would have confiscated it. They were given the bare minimum to live on. So they didn't have their own gold. So where did they Did they get this gold to make this calf? Well, I'm glad you asked because it's just a little earlier in the book of Exodus. It's actually a lot earlier. It's almost in the beginning. When God is speaking to Moses and telling him, hey, I want you to bring my children out of Egypt, he's giving him some instruction and he's also giving him some promises about what's gonna happen. And look what he says to Moses in Exodus 3, verse 22 and 21. It says, and I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman has asked her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. How about that? God said, you know what? You suffered for 430 years. I'm going to make them pay some penance. When you leave, they don't even know why they're going to do it. They're just going to give you their gold. And after you're gone, they're probably going to look at each other going, why did we do that? It doesn't matter. They did it. And they gave it to him. And in fact... Then in Exodus 12, when the Israelites are actually walking out of Egypt, it confirms that that's exactly what happened. In verse 36, it says, The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably, favorably disposed toward the people. So he fulfilled what he said he was going to do. And they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. How many of you know sometimes the gift that God gives us can become a God in our life? Sometimes the gift we get from God becomes a God in our life, which is exactly What happened here? Sometimes the gifts we get from God, we elevate above him. We thank him for the gift. We thank him for what he's given us. And then we down the road, all of a sudden we go, you know what though? This is really important to me. I'm going to protect it with all my life. And you actually, whoop! you put it right above God, who's the one that actually gave it to you to begin with. And what are those things in our life? Is it a job? You ask God to give you a job and he gave you a job. And then you put that job above him. You make it more important than your relationship with him or a marriage, a relationship, or your kids. Whatever it is that we put above God, even though those kids, that marriage is a gift from him, we elevate it above him, which is exactly what the children of Israel did here. They took the gift that God had given them and said, we're going to make a God out of this to basically spit in the face of God. And see, we have to be careful that we are always, always growing in our relationship with God because we will be more aware of these things when we're growing in him. You know, if you have a child that stops growing and you see all of his friends or her friends are getting taller and your child isn't growing, you would be concerned. We would take that child to the doctor and say, what's wrong? But when we're not growing spiritually, too often times we kind of shrug our shoulders and say, yeah, it just kind of is what it is, you know? We don't have near the concern. We're content to stay as little children in the faith, when in reality that should concern us and alarm us as much if a child wasn't growing in the physical. Because it's very important that we are growing. Because if we are not growing, church, we are forgetting. If we're not growing, we are forgetting. Peter tells us that we should always be adding to our faith. It's not a thing of works. It's not a thing of trying to get get favor from God. It's just a natural response to our relationship with him. He tells us in his first epistle that we should add to our faith Goodness, to our goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly, kindness, to brotherly, kindness, love. We should always be building on our faith and adding to it. And then he tells us why. In chapter 1, verse 9, he says, But if anyone does not have them, if anyone is not building on their faith, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. How easy it is to forget and how quickly we forget. We have to be intentional about always growing in our relationship with Jesus. It's not because he loves us more if we do that. It's not because he gives us more favor if we do that. It's not because he brags about it and says, hey, look at my son over here, how good he's doing. It's not about that. We're not, we're not about works to try to earn our salvation or earning favor with God. But we are about growing in our relationship with him because he deserves it. And because it is a natural response when the spirit of God is living in you to draw you to him so that we will see when we start putting things above him when we start taking the gifts God has given us and we elevate them above God we start to notice it then and we stop and we say oh yeah I don't want to do that because it's easy for us to do it there have been times I'm sure I put my marriage above God there have been times I'm sure I put my kids above God there are times I'm sure I put my career above God I'm sure I've done it but I notice it if I'm growing in him and when I see it and I recognize it I stop it and I repent And God is faithful and just to forgive us when we repent of that. James tells us not to be just hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Not just hearers, doers. I just said, you're going to forget 90% of what I say by the time you have a burger today. So if you want to come in here and just hear it, that's fine. But you're going to forget a lot of it. But if we are doers of what we hear, that's totally different. Because see, hearing the word builds us. You're built up when you hear the word, but doing the word changes us, makes us more like him, makes us more like his his character in us as we put it to action. You know, anytime I want to remember the faithfulness of God in my own life, it's never, or rarely I should say, to remember what someone spoke over me or a sermon I heard. If I want to remember the faithfulness of God, it's usually something I did. It's usually something where God met me in this place. Where I stepped out in faith and God showed me his faithfulness, and where God did something because of my response to his word. That's why he says, be doers, not just hearers, because you're going to forget. But we have to be very careful not to forget the word of the Lord in our life. Another lesson we could take from the calf is that delays are often ordained by God. Man, we live in a society that does not like to wait. Man, I know I feel like I talk about it a lot, but I just, my eyes have been open to it in such an incredible way now. Uh, just how much our society is just all about not waiting. It is amazing. If you will pay attention to it, you will see so much of the marketing, commercializing of things. It's always the, the motive, the, 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 whether trying to get your attention is this is quicker. You won't have to wait. We'll do it faster than the other guy. The convenience factor. It is so prevalent in our society, and it's fine. It is what it is. But man, sometimes that bleeds into our faith. It bleeds into our spiritual walk. And we think that God should respond like technology responds in our society. And let me tell you something. God doesn't give a flying rip about our technology. He doesn't care about the fact that you can have food delivered to your house in 10 minutes or that you can order on Amazon and have something shipped from California and have it in your house in two days. He doesn't care. He doesn't work that way. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he's not subject to our technology and our demands and our needs to have stuff and have it now. But man, It's hard to separate that sometimes, isn't it? Because, I mean, if Amazon can can come out in two days, why can't God? Right? I mean, God's bigger than Amazon. Come on, God. I prayed this when I bought that, and I already got this, and I didn't get your answer. Now, we don't say that out loud, but we think it because we do not like to wait. Well, the Israelites didn't like to wait either, and their impatience pushed them into idol worship, and our impatience pushes us into idol worship. I'm telling you, don't think don't just think about the golden calf. Don't just think, no, I don't I don't bend I don't bow down and worship pieces of gold. That's not what this is about. Anything in your life that you elevate is an idol. And we can mock the children of Israel and think how silly they were. But man, how many times have we got tired of waiting? Have you ever felt like the presence of God is just gone? Like you just don't experience his presence. Like you just don't even feel him. And you've prayed and you've begged him to let you feel his presence. And you just feel like, I just don't feel him like I used to. And you think back to that moment where you really felt his presence and you were so excited. and You said, God, I'll never doubt you again. And then now you're at this place where you're like, God, where are you? I've been begging you to answer this prayer for me for months or years. And God, you just haven't come through. You haven't answered it. Like, God, where are you? Does it seem like sometimes God's up on the mountain with Moses? And we're down there at the bottom of the mountain saying, God, when are you coming down? When are you coming, God? I mean, look at our society. God, don't you want to come down and invade our society? We are sprinting away from God in our society. Why are you still up there not doing anything about it, God? And in my personal life, God, I've been praying for a new job. You know this job's horrible. They mistreat me. Why aren't you answering my prayer? Where are you? Come down from the mountain. I'm tired of waiting. God, help us because we do get tired of waiting. But I got some encouraging words for you today, church, because the waiting is not for nothing. As a follower of Jesus, the waiting is not for nothing. The Israelites waited 430 years for God to come through for them, but he did it. The waiting was not for nothing. And when we are yelling at God in our heart, not verbally probably, but just, God, why? Why don't you do this? I don't understand. You know what God's response is? You're right. You don't understand. And you may not understand. And God would say, I don't owe you understanding. What I owe you is my faithfulness. And you can stand on it and know that it's true. Praise God. And you know what he would tell us that we owe him? Trust. He would tell us, you can trust me. I know you're in a situation you don't like. I know that job is not good. I know this relationship is not good. I know your financial situation is not good. I know. God will say, I know. I have not abandoned you. I'm not hiding up on the mountain. You know, when God was on the mountain, he was down at the foot of it too. He's everywhere. Praise God. So he's not missing. He's not abandoned you. He's not forsaken you. We stand on his word that we know that he is faithful. One of the names of God is faithful. He's faithful and true. So we stand on that. And he says, I don't owe you understanding. You may understand it one day in hindsight. You may not. But that's okay. You still trust me. We don't wait for nothing. Are we going to create gods or idols in the waiting? Or are we going to trust him? Joseph was told he was going to, he, he had the dreams that God gave him. That he was, you know, his brothers were going to be bowing down to him. It took him 13 years to see that fulfilled. And let me tell you, it wasn't just 13 years of kicking back, drinking sweet tea. He went through a living hell for 13 years before that was fulfilled in his life. King David. David was anointed the king of Israel, and he had to wait for 15 years, and he went through the same stuff. He was was running for his life from the current king. And he even had two opportunities where he could have killed the king, and no one in Israel would have blamed him. Yet he would not do it because he said, I trust God. He did not take matters into his own hands. How often do we take matters into our own hands? Because we're tired of waiting for God. I can tell you, we're only messing ourselves up. We're only creating golden calves in our life if we refuse to wait for our God. And I can promise you today, waiting is not exclusive to you. We're all waiting. You're going to wait for God more in your life than you're going to wait in traffic in Atlanta. You are. We spend a lot of our time waiting for God because God doesn't work on our timetable. We want it now. And God says, the waiting is not meaningless. He tells us to wait well. If we wait well, we will rise up on wings as you. If we wait well. The, uh, the Bible is very clear that God tests us. You know, we don't preach about God testing us very often because that's not fun. We'd rather just preach about God blessing us and being our little genie in a bottle. But God tests us. In fact, Peter, in that same chapter, in 1 Peter 1, verse 6, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So God tests us. And I can tell you today that I believe with all my heart that one of the biggest ways God tests us is waiting. Because that's a test. When we have to wait, sometimes it's not just that we're not ready for it, sometimes it's God testing to make sure that our faith is genuine. Because let me tell you, it's easy to trust in a God that just answers everything. And does whatever we want. It's harder to trust a God that's going to make us wait. And sometimes, in hindsight, we look back and we go, thank you, God, for not answering that prayer. Because, see, he actually does know more than us. I know we think we know as much as him sometimes, but he knows quite a bit more. And so he will make us wait, and that can be a test for us because we can be so short-sighted that all we can see is what's right up under our nose. But I'm telling you today, church, this is actually very encouraging to know that God tests us and that, to know that one of the ways he tests us is by making us wait. It's very encouraging because if you're waiting today for something, if you're waiting, you can know biblically, okay, God's making me wait. Now, it's not necessarily true that you're going to get what you want in the end anyway because sometimes what you're wanting isn't what he wants for you. But we can know in the waiting that God's best is for us. He says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. So when we're waiting, it's not so God can keep his thumb on us because he wants to hold us back. Jesus came to give us freedom. Freedom in Christ. That we can rejoice even in the waiting. So don't allow the waiting for you to cause you to bring idols into your life. And then third and finally, a lesson we learned from the golden calf is that we don't get what we deserve. Can someone say amen? Praise God that we don't get what we deserve. The children of Israel just made a blood covenant with God. Just made it. And blood covenants were not uncommon in that day. It was very common to make blood covenants. And in a standard blood covenant, if one person broke the covenant, the offender, the punishment for the offender was death. So God had every right to kill the whole group. Of them. In fact, he kind of wanted to. He told Moses, he said, Moses, get out of my way so I can get rid of these people, and I'll make you into a greater nation than they ever were. But thank God for Moses, because Moses stood in the gap for them. Moses petitioned God and said, God, don't do it. In fact, he encouraged God to remember his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God even used Moses to remind him of his promise. Not that God forgot, but it was even a, that could even be a test for Moses to see if he would remember God's promise. So we see in Exodus 32, verses 31 and 32, it says, so Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Moses mediated on their behalf and made atonement, and God relented. Thank God. God's grace was evident even in this season, in this story. We think of the grace of God being a New Testament concept, and it is, but it's also evident in the Old Testament because He had every right to wipe them out. Yet He allowed Moses to stand in the gap for them and be a mediator for them. You know, we have a mediator today, too. His name is Jesus. And let me tell you, there's no greater mediator than you and I could ever have. Moses was actually a type of Jesus in the Old Testament. By saying that, we're not saying that he was a god. He wasn't a god at all. He was a human. But there are all kinds of illustrations in the Old Testament where we see the, the story of Jesus being fulfilled even in these smaller stories in the Old Testament. And Moses was, was a type of Jesus because he stood in the gap for the people. Now, his, his standing in the gap, his atonement was not perfect. Jesus' was. His atonement was perfect. He stood in the gap between us and God. We broke the covenant with God very easily and very quickly. We break it all the time. Yet, instead of receiving the wrath of God, receiving the just punishment, which would be death that we deserve, spiritual death, instead of receiving that, God saw Jesus' atonement as perfect. Jesus said, I'm coming in, and I'm going to pay This debt. And God was pleased with that payment. So now God has allowed us to be part of His family. He's allowed us to be children of God. He's allowed us to come boldly into the throne room of grace and to approach Him at any time, all the time, and to know that we are His children, that He's not angry with us, but that He loves us passionately and that He chooses us to be with Him. What a wonderful promise. What a wonderful story that we have in Jesus and what He has done in our life. And you might say, well, But we wouldn't have done what the Israelites did. I mean, they literally just saw the sea parted. They just saw the plagues of Egypt and how it was all passed over them and they didn't have to experience any of them. They just saw it. How could they possibly have done this and turned their backs so quickly? We would never have done that. But here's the thing, church. You can make the argument that we have a lot more revelation of God than they had. You know, those people didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them. He wasn't doing that yet. It was a very select few people that had the Holy Spirit dwelling in them at that time. They didn't have a Bible. to Understand the words of God. This was at the very beginning of the Bible. It wasn't written down yet. So they didn't have that. And they came from this pluralistic society. So they had everything working against them. And so to think that we wouldn't have done that, I think we would have all been right in there with them, giving them our earrings and telling them to make a calf out of it. We have much more revelation today, yet we still will take things and elevate them over God. We've seen his faithfulness through the generations. We've seen what he's done. We've seen the promises from his word. We have it written down. We can read it any time we want. And yet we still allow idols and gods to come into our life. When we know very well that he created it all. It's all his. There is no other God that could do what our God has done. Have you ever seen the ocean? He did that. You ever seen a beautiful sunset? He did that. You ever held a newborn baby in your arms? He did that. Were you able to get out of bed this morning? He did that. Are you able to breathe on your own today? He's doing that. Every blessing you have in life, every single thing in your life is from him. And we know that. We know that because we have the word of God. So we are without excuse. There's no excuse for us having idols in our life that we would elevate over God because we know very clearly that our God is a jealous God. And he does not allow anything to take his place in our life. Especially if we are followers of Jesus and would call ourselves Christians today. He does not forget us. In fact, Isaiah tells us that our names are written on the palm of his hand. He wrote them in black sharpie and it's real big and he can see all of them. He's got a real big hand. That's who our God is. So let us not forget who he is. Let us not forget the goodness of God in our life. Let us not forget that we don't get what we deserve. Amen? Would you stand with me, please, as we close this afternoon? Thank you, Jesus. We serve a really good God. What an incredible, incredible God we serve. But I want to pray for all of us today, church, and I I want you to receive this prayer, but I also want you to just be reflecting on what areas of your life you might have put in the place of God that you might have elevated above him, where you've given it priority over him in our life. Because see, it's important that when we do that, when God shows us, one of the other characteristics of the Holy Spirit is that he comes to convict. And when he convicts, it is imperative upon us that we repent. Repentance is not for that first prayer you pray to get saved. Repentance is a lifestyle for a Christian. Because unless you stop sinning, and nobody has, so don't even nod your head at me like you have, you have to, we have to continually repent. The Lord's prayer says, forgive me my sins. We're to pray that every day. So when the Lord convicts us, if you've been convicted today, that yes, I have put something over him. I have not surrendered this to God in my life. I have not allowed God to touch this. Then you need to repent. And you need to recommit and say, God, I put you over that. God, I give you my kids today. I can't protect them like you can I can't watch over them like you can. You know, when they're little, you can watch every everything they do. You can control every part of their life. Then they get older, and you can't do that anymore. And if you have them above God, it's going to drive you crazy. I have three teenagers. They're all driving now. There's, They can't be above God because we'll lose our mind. We constantly have to say, God, I trust you. I trust you with my kids. They were a gift from you. I'm not going to take it and throw it in the fire and make a God out of it. It's a gift. The gift doesn't need to become a God in our life. Whatever it is, just be reflecting on that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your mercy and your grace. First and foremost, God, thank you that we don't give what we deserve. Hallelujah. What a blessing. Lord, we give ourselves to you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you today, God, that we have your word. We have more at our disposal today than any time in the history of the world so God we are without excuse but Lord we still elevate things over you we still have gods in our life but Lord we come today and we want a clean slate whatever is in our life that we have put above you God we remove it from that high place Lord we repent We ask you to forgive us, and we thank you today that your word promises us that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to give us a clean slate. Church, I just encourage you to just even silently if you want to, just give it to God. Just give whatever that thing is today that you have kept from him, just give it to him. Lord, we give you our children. We give you our relationships. We give you our careers. We give you our finances. We give you our house. We give you our cars. We give you our phones. We give you our computers. We give you everything in our life, Lord, because it's all a gift from you. And we don't want it to be a God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And Father, as we wait, I know a lot of us under the sound of my voice are in a season of waiting. God, help us to wait well. Help us to wait well to be doers of your word, not just hearers, but to wait trusting you, not to ask you for understanding, but that we would be able to trust and know that you're faithful, that you have not forgotten us, you have not forsaken us, and that you never will. Nothing can separate us from you and your love. We revel in that today, Jesus. We revel in your love. Hallelujah. It's all for your glory, Lord. We love you. We pray all of this In the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen. Can we give God praise one more time today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. He is a good God and he is worth serving with all of your heart.